The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that proves there's more than one way to make history. I'm Gabe Lussier, and in this episode, we're taking a deep dive into the history of sports mascots, including a beloved pioneer of the craft, the one and only San Diego Chicken. The day was June 29, 1979. An early sports mascot named the San Diego Chicken made his triumphant return to professional baseball. The famous chicken, a.k.a. Ted Giannullis, was never the official mascot of any San Diego sports team. Still, he had appeared in costume at many games in the area throughout the 1970s as part of a promotion for a local radio station. After several years of entertaining crowds in this fashion, Ted became embroiled in a lengthy legal battle over the rights to his chicken persona. He was eventually barred from appearing in the costume in the city of San Diego or its surrounding counties, but after just a one-month absence, Ted found a workaround. He made a brand new chicken suit of his own design and then planned an elaborate comeback ceremony, which he dubbed the Grand Hatching. It took place on June 29, 1979, just before a home game between the San Diego Padres and the Houston Astros. More than 47,000 fans were there that night, and they watched with joyful confusion as a giant styrofoam egg was driven onto the field by an armored truck. Moments later, Ted Giannullis emerged from the egg, dressed in his chicken suit, and the crowd went nuts. The golden age of sports mascots had officially begun. The basic idea of a mascot is to personify something abstract, such as a brand, a team, or a city. They're often associated with luckiness as well, with many believing their presence alone is enough to improve one's fortunes. 
history has no shortage of mascots, from the Owl of Athens to medieval sigils, court jesters, Chinese dragons, and so on. The roots of the concept go way deeper than you might think. And while you may have never thought of a sports mascot as a good luck charm, that's basically the role they fill. A mascot's goal is to show team spirit and amp up the crowd and the players, all in the unspoken hope that their effort and positivity will bolster the team and help them pull out a win. Of course, our expectations for mascots have changed a lot over the years, and they weren't always a fixture of sports games like they are today. The mascot's rise to prominence was gradual, and in the very beginning, they really didn't do much besides stand around being lucky. Take baseball, for example. In the early 20th century, American baseball players had already latched on to the idea of ordinary people acting as good luck mascots. As you probably know, baseball players can be a superstitious lot, and that was true even in the early days of the game. For instance, imagine there was a player who'd been in a slump for the whole game. Then, in the last inning, he notices a kid in the bleacher smiling at him. And then, a second later, the player hits a home run and wins his team the game. Now, maybe that was just a coincidence. But then again, maybe that kid is lucky. So just to be on the safe side, the player gives his family some free tickets for the next game, and the next, and the next. And before you know it, boom. The kid's a mascot. Strange as it sounds, plenty of players had their own personal mascots like that, and sometimes an entire team would adopt a standout fan as its mascot. If a team went on a winning streak, there's a strong chance they'd find someone or something around them to account for that success, and then they'd hold on to it like there was no tomorrow. The same was true for college games as well. For instance, the Harvard team's early mascot was John the Orangeman, who was a local vendor who sold fruit during all their games. And then there's Handsome Dan, the bulldog that Yale's team would walk around the field before every game. In fact, the college still does that. Yale's currently on its 19th Handsome Dan at the time of recording. Of course, fruit vendors and live animals aren't the kind of mascots you're likely to encounter these days. In place of passive good luck charms, you'll often find wild, costumed performers making a spectacle on the sidelines. The rise of elaborate costume characters took place during the 1970s and 80s, but there was a move to more active team mascots as early as the 1940s. One famous example comes from an exhibition game in Hawaii, played by Joe DiMaggio and some World War II servicemen. One of the pitchers in that game was Max Patkin, a former minor league player who had joined the Navy following an arm injury. DiMaggio scored a home run off of Patkin, and then, much to everyone's surprise, the pitcher left the mound and started mimicking the way DiMaggio ran. Patkin chased the batter all around the bases, and the crowd ate it up. News of the event spread quickly. And once the war was over, the coach of the Cleveland Indians hired Patkin to entertain the crowds at their games. Part of his act was to chase players around the bases after they hit home runs, but he would also make funny faces and do slapstick routines, like using five bats to hit a ball or jumping out of the way when someone threw him a pitch. It was the type of act that rodeo clowns were known for, and Patkin eventually became known as the Clown Prince of Baseball. A true legend in his own right, 
He racked up more than 4,000 appearances during his career and supposedly never missed a game from 1944 to 1993 when he finally retired. And while Patkin never wore a giant foam mask during his time as mascot, he did help promote the idea that mascots should wear costumes. In his case, that meant a baggy baseball uniform with a question mark instead of a number. But in 1964, during the middle of Patkin's tenure as the clown prince of baseball, the New York Mets upped their game by giving their mascot a giant baseball-shaped mask to go along with his uniform. The resulting character, Mr. Met, is considered the first Major League Baseball costumed mascot to exist in human form, rather than just as artwork. He was a big hit with crowds for about a decade, but then in the mid-1970s, he was phased out due to waning popularity. Luckily for mascot fans, a college student in San Diego stepped up to fill the gap left by Mr. Met, and he did so while dressed as a giant red chicken. In 1974, Ted Giannoulis was studying journalism at San Diego State University, when he and some friends were approached by a local rock station called KGB-FM. As part of a promotion, they were looking for someone to appear in a chicken suit at the San Diego Zoo and other local venues. Ted, who dreamed of becoming a radio host himself, accepted the gig immediately, thinking that it might get him a foothold in the industry. After his 10-day stint at the zoo, Ted convinced station management to send him to the Padres' opening night game. His appearance left such an impression on the press and the public that the station wound up keeping him on to play the chicken for the next five years. Eventually, people started going to Padres games mostly to see the famous chicken. And as his reputation grew, the chicken's antics garnered national attention as well, and Ted started receiving offers to perform at events outside of San Diego and for sports besides baseball. Those appearances weren't always sanctioned by KGB management, but since the station's logo was prominently displayed on the vest of the costume, they decided to let it go for the time being. After all, since the chicken had made his debut, the station's ratings had climbed from fifth place in San Diego to first. Ted's performances had also won a 1977 Emmy for a KGB commercial, and he was even awarded a commendation from the state legislature for his, quote, comedy contributions to the state of California. It was hard to argue with that kind of success, but eventually, the station grew to feel that Ted was overstepping his role and seizing control of their character. The breaking point came on May 4, 1979, when Ted performed as the chicken at a nationally televised NBA playoff game in Seattle. He did so without displaying the KGB logo, enraging station management and leading to his prompt termination. Then, when Ted refused to give back the costume, KGB sued him for breach of contract to the tune of $250,000. At a hearing later that month, a judge ordered Ted to return the chicken suit and to refrain from any further performances as the famous chicken. Losing control of the character he'd created and portrayed for years was a massive blow to Ted's ego and to his livelihood. But he didn't let it get him down for long. As KGB continued on with another performer in his old suit, Ted set to work designing a new costume 
with the help of his seamstress mother and his sister. The result was a flashier orange and yellow chicken suit with blue plumage on the head and wings and a vest bearing an original symbol in place of the letters KGB. Once his new duds were ready, Ted started looking for the perfect place to relaunch his act. It wasn't a tough search either, as he had become such a beloved public figure that just about any venue in town would have gladly booked him. In the end, though, Ted struck a deal with the Padres to hold the event at San Diego Stadium. They started building hype for the event by holding a press conference at the ballpark on June 25th. Ted conducted the interview from inside a custom-made 8-foot styrofoam egg, forcing reporters to put their ears and microphones up to the shell to hear his responses. He didn't reveal which animal he'd be hatching as, leaving fans to wonder whether his new costume would be just another chicken, a different kind of bird, or maybe even a reptile. Ted invited the public to come find out for themselves at the grand hatching ceremony on June 29th. And remarkably, more than 47,000 people did just that. All week long, the giant egg had been displayed in the right field pavilion, driving the public wild with curiosity. As a result, the San Diego Stadium filled to capacity that night, and national TV crews were on hand to film the event for any fans who couldn't be there in person. While it wasn't technically the main event, Ted's hatching all but eclipsed the evening's game between the Padres and the visiting Astros. Its start time was even pushed back half an hour to accommodate the hatching. As the capacity crowd grew restless, they started chanting, We want the chicken! Until finally, the outfield gates opened, and Ted entered the stadium, crouched inside his enormous egg. It was perched atop an armored truck and escorted by two California Highway Patrol motorcycles. When the motorcade reached third base, a group of Padres players lifted the egg off the roof and placed it onto the infield. One of the players then knocked on the egg with his hand, signaling Ted that it was time for the San Diego chicken to be reborn. The egg wobbled around the field for a few seconds, then, as the soundtrack to 2001 A Space Odyssey played over the loudspeakers, Ted burst out of the shell in full costume and received a 10-minute standing ovation. The world had just witnessed one of the greatest PR spectacles in baseball history, and Ted Giannullis had just secured one of the biggest paydays of his life. In a shrewd bit of bargaining, he had asked for an attendance-based bonus if the hatching drew more than the Padres' average crowd of 18,000 people. Management didn't think that was very likely, so they agreed to pay Ted $1.50 per ticket above the average attendance. And since more than 29,000 additional fans showed up for the grand hatching, that means Ted pocketed nearly $44,000 for a single night's work. He later reflected on what that payday meant, saying, quote, The next day, the Padres cut me a check for more than $43,000, more than eight times what the highest major league player was paid per game. The entire amount was gobbled up by attorney fees as I defended myself from KGB's litigation. Still, the fans' turnout that night saved my bacon, allowing me to continue onward in my career. And what a career it turned out to be. After a 1980 court ruling allowed Ted to continue performing in his new suit, 
he started appearing as the famous chicken all over the country. Sporting events remained his bread and butter, but the chicken also performed at concerts, parades, and trade shows, as well as at private events, such as birthday parties, weddings, and mitzvahs. In addition to appearing in all 50 states, Ted also took his act international, performing in Canada, Mexico, Australia, Japan, Italy, Spain, and the Netherlands. His appearances have become less frequent in recent years due to the COVID-19 pandemic and his own advancing age. But even if Ted never gets to shake his tail feathers for another crowd, he's earned a permanent place in mascot history and in the hearts of sports fans around the globe. He's also left an indelible mark on the business of baseball. Other teams and owners took notice of how popular and potentially lucrative a mascot like the chicken could be. Most official mascots of the era were still of the maskless sort, like Patkin in his baggy uniform. But with a full-body costume and mask, a team could create a larger-than-life character, and better yet, an anonymous one. Unlike traditional mascots, no one would be able to tell who was wearing the costume. That allowed for a mascot that wouldn't age or retire or do something scandalous to tarnish the team's image. But even more importantly, it also allowed for mascots that could be easily merchandised. Following the chicken's lead, other teams and then other sports gradually got in on the action. Pretty soon, every sports team in the country had a big-headed mascot in its corner. So no matter which team you root for, if you've ever smiled at the sight of your mascot, be sure to give a cluck of thanks to Ted Giannoulis, a.k.a. the San Diego Chicken, the one who started it all. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider keeping up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can get in touch directly by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays and Ben Hackett for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. 
And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.